An old time minister tells the story of a man lost in the desert. He has been out of food and water for days. His lips are swollen. His tongue is swollen. He's all beaten up and bloody. Some of his bones are almost peeking through. He has scraped up. He's all scraped up. He's beat up by the cactus, the sand, and the sun have taken a toll on his body. He's blistered all over his body. He's crawling over this little hill and he comes across this little plant. He props himself up on one bloody elbow. He looks down at this plant and says, you know, if things keep going like this, I might get discouraged. By God's grace, I will not quit. Joshua 1 and 9 says, have I not commended you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. <clears throat> There's a legend that Satan decided to get rid of a number of his tools. So he arranged an auction. There was envy, there was deceit, there was malice and sensuality, enmity, thoughtfulness, many other tools which Satan had used successfully. They were all priced very low. They sold quickly. One piece marked very high was labeled discouragement. Why do you want so much for that tool? Asked one bidder. Well, this tool, replied the old tempter, has always been my most useful one. You can use it no matter what the situation often. You can see it has more wear and tear than all the rest. It was used to wedge between a man's mind when all other means failed. Practically every human being has used this tool once in a while in their lives. Although very few know that I'm the one that's yielding it. As it worked out, none could afford the price Satan demanded for discouragement. So he is still using it today. One day, a mother saw five of her children gathered in a circle in the middle of the yard. Something had gathered and got their attention. She couldn't see what it was. So very quietly, she came up behind them and peeked over their shoulders to see what had captured their attention. She discovered that in the center of that circle were five little skunks. Suddenly horrified at what could happen, the mother cried at the top of her voice, children, run! Instantly, each child grabbed the skunk and ran, leaving their mother stunned and frustrated. I don't know if you have ever felt like that. Discouraged, stunned, frustrated. But we know Nehemiah surely must have had. God had said, Nehemiah, 
Go to Jerusalem and rebuild the wall around the city. Our text this morning is found in Nehemiah chapter 4. We'll be focused on verses 10 through 23 of Nehemiah chapter 4. God said, Nehemiah, go to Jerusalem and rebuild the wall around the city. That sounds like an easy task. Nehemiah must have thought, oh, that's a piece of cake. Did you remember? That was easy. Somebody had that little button from Home Depot. That was easy. That was easy. Yeah, kid one time the kid at school brought that in. And I'd give math problems. That was easy. That was easy. Got a little annoying after a while, but I'm glad they thought it was easy. I'm sure Nehemiah has that feeling. Oh, that's going to be easy. I can do that and be back here again as the cupbearer to the king in no time at all, I'm sure he's thinking. So Nehemiah went to Jerusalem and he started out on his task with great enthusiasm. But immediately, he and his workers met opposition. Hmm. Everything goes well until some opposition shows up. Then there's some criticism. We're talking now in James, on a Bible study Sunday morning, James chapter 3. <clears throat> and what the tongue can do. So now he's getting opposition, he's getting criticism, he's getting complaints, and even mockery. The result was discouragement. Nehemiah had to learn how to deal with all of the discouragement he's going to face. What he learned is recorded in Nehemiah, as I said, our text, for 10 through 23. I'd like to begin reading verses 10, 11, and 12. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said the strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said be before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them, and we will kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, Wherever you turn, wherever you turn, they will attack you. Ten times over. I think that means more than ten. That's all that's in their head, right? They're going to attack us. They're going to attack us. That's all the people can think about. Every time we turn around, they're going to attack us. Now, with that beginning, let's look more closely at the entire passage and discover, first of all, that the source of discouragement. What is the source of discouragement that they're going to have? Secondly, what are the causes of discouragement? And finally, how to deal with that discouragement? That is our focus this morning. How we as Christians realize the source, the causes, and how we can deal with discouragement in our lives. Verse 10 tells us the source of discouragement. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out. And there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Right here is the beginning of the complaints and discouragement that come Nehemiah's way. Do you realize who Judah was? On his deathbed, Jacob called his sons together. Genesis 40 and verse 10 tells us that the skeptor will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. 
until he comes to whom it belongs. The scepter will not depart. What Jacob was saying to Judah was this, you will be the leader. You are the chosen tribe to lead God's people until the Messiah comes. So if anyone ought to be leading out front this effort in building the wall around Jerusalem, it ought to be the people of Judah. They are the leaders. But no, from the people of Judah, Nehemiah received only complaints and discouragement instead of the leading. I wonder how often have we found that those who ought to be helpful those who ought to be leading and supportive are not. And that those who should be encouraging us are the ones that are actually the source of the discouragement. We need to watch out for what are the sources of discouragement. Then you ask the question, what causes discouragement? We see in these verses that we're going to read, there are four causes of discouragement. First of all, we're told that they lost their strength. Verse 10, the strength of the laborers is giving out. We know that when we become tired, we start with enthusiasm. But as we wear on, we start to become more tired. I know when I ran cross country. The first start of the race, you're all pumped up. Two-thirds of the race. You might start saying, what am I doing out here? Why am I doing this? Why did I think this was fun? Did you ever do that? Why? Whoa, what made me think this was a good idea? These people are getting discouraged. The first thought. We're all pumped up. As life goes on, some of us that have been Christians for years, as life goes on, maybe we get a little tired. We start to get a little discouraged. We start looking around thinking, why am I always the one that has to do this? And the discouragement starts to seep in. They started out with tremendous enthusiasm. But now the strength is falling. You ask why? I'd like to go back to verse 6 to find the answer. It says in verse 6, we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half of its height. Notice the word half. They were halfway through. They had come halfway, but means they still have halfway to go. An automobile, half paid for, is one of the most depressing things in the world. The newness is worn off. It might start to have some scratches, some dents. It starts to need repairs. But you still have to make another half of those payments. Continued. You continue. I'm only halfway there. A mountain, half climb, can be very depressing. You have spent a, a, a tremendous amount of energy getting thus far, but you still have halfway to go. You still have to continue to finish that. 
That is exactly the situation that Nehemiah and the children of Israel face. The wall was half finished, but they still had as much to do as they had already done. And their strength was gone. They were exhausted. So discouragement starts to creep in. Secondly, they lost their vision. Still in verse 10, it goes on to tell us that the people of Judah began saying, there is so much rubble. Do you get the picture? When they started to build the wall, I'm sure that there was a lot of rubble laying around. So they started to pitch in and clean it up, stacking the usable bricks and stones together, hauling off the rest. But as they mixed the mortar, and as they started laying the wall, more rubbish begins to collect. Piles of unused mortar and broken stones were lying everywhere. And as they began to lose their strength, they also began to lose their vision. The result is they begin to focus their attention on the piles of rubbish and not the work that they had already done. I suppose that's a lot like being a mother with multiple children in diapers at the same time. Here's a dirty diaper. There's a dirty diaper. Everywhere is a dirty diaper. You think, oh my goodness, is that what I'm doing spending all day changing diapers? I know that when the twins were born, I remember we luckily we had a multitude of people between my wife and myself and my daughter and dad. We at least had four of us trying to constantly change diapers. Our neighbors, Tammy and Gary, they're not really our, the grandparents of the kids, but they're our aunt or grandparents. They call them Grandma Tammy and Grandpa Gary. They live next door. They pitched in. There was, so now we got six people. And it seemed like there was always a kid awake, a kid sleeping. Then they didn't, then they switch. And then you didn't want to wake one up. And then, and then you're changing diapers and then you're feeding. And I'm sure that some of you that are moms, I don't have to go through this. Some of you, the mother, my mom had five children. Now, luckily we were all spaced out. My youngest brother's 10 years. I'm the middle. My brother Dale's 10 years younger than me. And my brother Ron was six years older than me. So I'm, we're kind of, spe oh, actually seven years, 49. So um, we, we, we're kind of spaced out. But some of you that were moms with children and you have them all going around at the same time, you get the idea. When those children were born, the mother had a vision of them growing up to be strong, to be successful. All she could picture about was the future and what they were gonna to do to leave the legacy for the family. They were gonna be intelligent, beautiful. But now all she can see is dirty diapers, kids crying, kids wanna be fed, kids, kids, kids. And that is what's happening to Judah. They once had a vision of a completed wall, but now all they see is piles of rubbish and rubbish is very depressing. You start off strong. When we first became Christians, it was a great moment. And then as life goes on, sometimes we start to get discouraged. We start to think, I got plenty of time. For those that have that thought, it was very depressing to hear Friday night at a homecoming game. A young lady gets introduced, 17 years old, gets introduced as being part of a homecoming court 
walking, being escorted by her father. What joy could there be? She's an athlete playing three sports. They introduce her name and that she's being escorted by her father. Three steps later, she collapsed and died on the football field. Friday night, done, right here in Cleveland. Just, they canceled it. Obviously, the, the teams are in doing their halftime talks, came out, never finished the game. People sat in the crowd and were just so stunned. They said they sat there until about 11 or 11.30 at night. Never finished the second half of the game. Never, didn't they canceled the homecoming dance the next day? Didn't have the homecoming dance. Just in shock of this, you know, the school. You don't know, my point being, you don't know how long you have. You think it here's a young lady, her senior year, everything going well. And I haven't heard what would be the cause. So that's what they look at. We need to look at. Don't look. What do we focus on? We need to focus on the positives and what we have done, what we complete, where we're at, moving forward, the promises that God has given us. Be thou found faithful unto death that you might receive these crowns of righteousness. And thirdly, what happened? They lost their confidence and they began to despair. There is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. They automatically now have a defeated sound. When they first started out, they were supremely confident. They were convinced that Nehemiah was the greatest contractor in the world. And now they rebuild the wall. They're gonna rebuild that wall in record time. But now halfway through, they have lost their confidence. Have we ever been that way? Get up in the morning, you're convinced that you're going to seal a deal. And it's going to be a successful day. You don't seal the deal. You feel beat down. You feel unsuccessful. And it happens about three or four times and you lose your confidence. And then you begin to think, I really don't do the job the way I thought I could. Confidence is gone. Maybe I should quit. Fourthly, verse 11 tells us they lost their sense of security. Also, their enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we will kill them and put an end to this work. Now they fear. Those are strong words. They had enemies who were threatening them, threatening even to kill them to stop the work. They lost their sense of security. Verse 12. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us 10 times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. They lost their sense of security because their security was in the wrong thing in the first place. How about us? As long as things are going well, as long as we're climbing the ladder of success, as long as we're getting raises, as long as we feel the boss likes us, we feel secure. But then the camp company might change hands. New management comes in, pressure builds. You feel that your job is threatened and the sense of security leaves you. Or maybe you put security in friends. You spend time with good friends and you feel comfortable and secure, but then your friends move away. You find it hard to make new friends and your security leaves. Worse yet, maybe you move. Maybe your place of security is in a home in familiar sights and sounds and people. But one day, 
either you or your husband or family or job or whatever says you're being transferred and you have to leave your home, your friends, you have to leave your church, you have to leave your schools. The sense of security is threatened. In our highly mobile society today, one of the greatest challenges facing the church is reaching out to people who have had to leave their familiar environments, move to a new location, and who need to develop a new sense of closeness, a new sense of family and security. So let's look at the people of Judah again. They lost their strength. They lost their vision. They lost their confidence. And they lost a sense of security. And the result is discouragement. What can be done about discouragement? Nehemiah realized that he had to do something. You never ignore discouragement. Anyone we know that is in discouragement cannot ignore it. I'm going to compare it to like a flat tire. Trust me, ladies and gentlemen, I have tried this. On the way down here, ironically, this is pretty good. I always felt that God had a good sense of humor because I have already, I had already written this and submitted this lesson. This morning on the way down here, I got a tire pressure, a pressure gauge warning saying that my front rod tire was low. I tried to ignore it. I didn't really, but back in the younger days, I would have. I would have ignored it. Does that fat tire fill up itself? Nope, I can tell you. You can drive on a flat tire. It ain't going to fill itself up. You can hope, you can wish, but it's not going to happen. Discouragement's the same way. You can hope it's going to go away. You can keep moving, but we know it's not going to take care of itself. So that's what we look at. Same way discouragement. It does not leave by itself. You must do something about it. So what did Nehemiah do? The scripture tells us four things that Nehemiah did. First, he saw that there needed to be a unity among the people. There must be a unity. Let's look at verse 13 of our text. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. What did Nehemiah do? He brought the people together in family groups so that they would be working together as families. He placed them in strategic spots all along the wall as they built. What are they doing now? They had been scattered before in individual aspects all along the wall. Each one doing his own job. No communication. You're responsible for this. We think about what we do in our society today. Ladies and gentlemen, I've been going to lose weight for a good 10 years now. By myself, it doesn't work. People, someday I'm gonna get a good friend that's gonna stay with me and do this for a long period of time. I've just started this. But of course, then the doctor says, well, while your heart's going 130 you know, rate, you better not be walking out and doing things, putting no stress on yourself. So that put a little whammy in it. So I want you to know for the last year now, 
That's my excuse, if anything, but, but I do have to listen to the doctor. But my point being that when you do it, when you join Weight Watchers and so on, do you do it by yourself? No. Alcohol's Anonymous. How well does that work by yourself? That's why the people got in a place in the first place. They have to get together. They talk about it. They have a sponsor. They have people that they can refer to. I'm going to get to our church group in just a minute. So what do we know? These people are working together now. Huh, Nehemiah says, don't be discouraged working by yourself. Do you ever try to do a job yourself? It gets very discouraging. You get a couple people there and you're talking and all of a sudden it's not as work, it's not as, as uh, hard as you first thought because you can talk and the time goes by pretty quick. And that's what Nehemiah is saying, let's work in families. Protect, work together, encourage one another, have your back. That's what basically the family saying. I got your back. You work, I I, I, um, I'm sitting here, got your back. And then we switch. Secondly, Nehemiah realized that he needed to redirect their attention. What's their focus? We'll read verse 14. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Why not? Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers. Fight for your sons and your daughters and your wives and your 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 homes. Remember the Lord. The problem was that they were focused on rubbish. That's all they could see. They failed to see the wall was already half done, half full. They were halfway home. The Lord had brought them that far. So Nehemiah said, remember the Lord. Remember who he is, how great and powerful he is. Folks, every once in a while, we need to do the same thing in our lives. We need to get our eyes off the rubbish that surrounds us in our daily lives. And we need to look at God. Why do you think God said, gather yourselves together on the first day of the week so that we remember so that we are encouraged, that we're refocused. Jesus, partake of these emblems and do this in remembrance of me. Stay focused, as Brother Dale was saying so well this morning, on that blood that was shed for us. Remember who he is and how great he is. He created the world and hung the stars and the sun and the moon and the skies. He gave us the breath of life and he promised to watch over us and care for us all the days of our lives. Matthew 7 and 26, Jesus, speaking in the Sermon on the Mount, says, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Look at the birds of the sky. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet their Heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Romans 8 and 28 tells us, in all good things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. John 3, 16. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We think about our focus. Remember the Lord and what he said to Nehemiah. What Nehemiah says to the people. Remember the Lord. Get your eyes off the rubbish and remember what he has done and what he is doing. Thirdly, I'd like you to listen to Nehemiah in verses 19 and 20 of our text. 
We need to rally together. Then he said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Why? Our God will fight for us. We too need a rallying place, don't we? Where we can come with our worries, where we can come with our cares to be strengthened again. We need to get together and encourage one another. That is the task of the church. I think it's verse seven, I mean, song number 17. Revive us again. We praise thee, O God, for the son of thy love. We praise thee. Revive us again. Finally, well, first I should say, Simon Nehemiah says, whenever you hear the sound of that trumpet, join us there. God will battle for us. Then what does he say in verses 21 and 22? We must help each other. We must continue to work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars come out. And at that time, I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so that they can serve us as guards by night and workmen by day. You see, Nehemiah realized that the task was so great that it needed everybody working together, helping each other. And that is still true today, isn't it? In our church, that is why we meet together. We encourage one another. People will say, well, why do I need to attend Bible study? I know what the Bible says. That may be true. But have you ever learned something new when you read and discuss? I'm constantly learning new things. God knows that. God wants us to know the Bible inside and out. He wants us to live by that. He wants us to be an example. We encourage one another. We join together realizing that this is what God wants, that we never forget. Those people somewhere along the lines forgot that God was with them. They got discouraged. God puts this plan, I'm sure, into effect that we join together, that we sing songs of praise, that we focus on God, we focus on Jesus, we focus on what they have done for us. We partake so that we don't forget. We worship to give God what he is due, but also that we don't forget that God is our creator, that we look forward to that time that we can have in heaven with him. We know that the steps spoken in the Bible, to take advantage of our Christian life. We need to first hear God's word. It causes us to repent of our sin. We need to confess that Jesus is the son of the father and to be buried with him in baptism, that we would be able to walk in newness of life, that we could be found faithful. We also have the avenue if we have taken those steps, we have the avenue to, if we have turned away from the church, to come back. Whatever our need is this morning, we have that opportunity that we could come forward as together we stand and sing that song of invitation, number 637.